Father, I just thank you for what you've placed in your Thank you for the word that he's about to receive. Father, I just pray that you'll communicate it through him uh, effectively and that you'll just prepare our hearts to receive what he has for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, Stephen. Good evening, everybody. Thank, for com- thank you for coming out on a Sunday night of a long weekend. God will reward you. We trust. Uh, just as the worship was coming to a bit of a, a landing there, Richie was uh, praying slash sharing just that we want what God wants because his ways are better. And this is really true. And as I'm sharing tonight, I think this is very important to remember. I think that God wants each of us to take new ground, to go into new spaces, to experience places where we can have fruitfulness or a harvest perhaps where we haven't had before in our lives. But often I've found that when God wants to do these kinds of things in our lives, those journeys start in our hearts. And often when God wants to take us to a new place or establish something new, he first starts in our hearts. Sometimes he gives us a new passion for something, and that passion grows and it builds and it forces us in a direction. Sometimes we get a a holy discontent, and that we're just not satisfied with the way things are, and we know that God wants to do it differently. And so God often starts journeys in our heart. We can think of someone like Moses, who grew up in a space of privilege in the household of Pharaoh, and probably didn't have to be affected by what was happening to his countrymen. But God started something in his heart. He got it a little wrong and had to go live in the desert a while to get his heart sorted completely because he tried to do something in his own strength, something that God wanted in his own way. But then God worked in his heart and he became a deliverer of a nation. Or a young man like David who, while tending the sheep, I wonder, I imagine sometimes what kind of journeys he had to do in his heart so that when the day came, he was ready and he walked onto the battlefield and everyone else was scared but his heart was prepared and he could face the giant and change the course of the nation and the geopolitical structure of his time. And so I wonder what God has been doing in your heart. We've had quite an intense time of worship and God's been speaking many different words, I think, into many spaces because our hearts are in different spaces at this time. But I wonder what God wants to do new in your life and what journey he wants to take you on in your heart tonight. So the the word I have tonight is a little bit devotional in that I believe God wants to speak to our hearts. It's a little bit prophetic because I believe God wants to point us in that direction and say something. And it really comes from a space where we were in a conversation and Pastor Louis was actually sharing something and he mentioned something about fallow ground. And as he said that, it was like a seed was planted in my heart. And as I started thinking on that, knowing that I would have to preach, the Lord started growing something in my heart about this. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit, and the title of my message is Prepare the Fellow Ground. Prepare the Fellow Ground. I believe it's time that God wants to prepare fellow ground in our heart. Now, there's only two scriptures in the whole Bible that speak directly about fellow ground, and they're both in the Old Testament. And so if you can, turn with me in your devices. The scriptures will come up on the screens or in your Bibles. Uh, We want to look at the book of Hosea. So if you can find it, Hosea is the first minor prophet. So if you find Psalms and you head right and you go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea will be next. If you hit Malachi or something, you've gone a little bit too far. And so we're going to read in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. I've chosen to use the New Revised Standard Version. It's just a little bit more of a literal translation. And it also uses the word fellow. So there's no deeply spiritual reason for choosing it. It just 
it says what, what I feel a good, is a good translation of the text. So Isaiah 10 verse 12, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to what is known as the northern kingdom of Israel, um, probably in the 700s before Jesus, and he records these words for us, Isaiah 10, 12. He writes and he says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Let's read that again. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. More than a hundred years later, another prophet sent to the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, has the same message. In Jeremiah, we want to read now, so you just keep going left from where you were. Jeremiah chapter 4, excuse me, in verse 3, the prophet Jeremiah comes and he speaks to the nation of Judah, people of Judah, and he says in Jeremiah 4 verse 3, For thus says the Lord to the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Break up your fellow ground and do not sow amongst the thorns. Break up your fellow ground and do not sow amongst the thorns. It's interesting that more than a hundred years apart, two different people, people groups of the same nation ultimately, but God sends prophets and he says to them, it's time to break up the fellow ground. And I believe that's the word in the devotional space that the Lord has for us tonight, that it's time to break up the fellow ground. Now, as we've looked at this, there's two kinds of fallow ground. ground. Fallow ground is unused ground, but there's two kinds. The first kind is ground that has never been used before. It's never been cultivated, it's never been produced a crop. It's kind of like raw, wild felt. Okay, all the ecologists, you would love it, like nature in all its period. Anybody? Okay, undisturbed nature, fallow ground, never before used. And by the way, in these prophetic words, the, the, the scholars tell us that the way the language is structured is that this is actually the kind of ground that the prophets are referring to, that God wants them to come into this completely new kind of space. But this is ground that's never been plowed. So if you're going to walk into this never before used ground, whatever's there, that's, just, that's going to be a hindrance to plowing, that's going to be a hindrance to whatever kind of cultivation you're doing, you have to remove. So if there's a rock there that's been there since the earth was shaped and formed, whatever kind of geomorphology took place or anything. So no big words, eh? Metric geography, people. Okay. Um, you have to then take that rock out so that the plow can go through. There may be trees that have stood there for years and for centuries and been deeply rooted, but it's time to move things that perhaps have been there for a while so that there can be a harvest, so that a kingdom harvest can take place, so that God can do something in a space that he wants to do. So the first kind of fellow ground is never before used ground. And we want to remove anything in those spaces that can hinder a future harvest, that can hinder future fruitfulness. Another kind of fellow ground, fellow ground that we're perhaps more familiar with from reading some of the scriptures is just um, ground that's at rest. Uh, one of the principles God gave the nation of Israel in Leviticus 25 was that they would plant for, seven year, for six years they would plant, they would have a harvest, but in the seventh year, they weren't supposed to plant. They were supposed to let the ground just rest. And but basically, this is a good thing. People tell us because the ground regains its nutrients. Um, perhaps they would leave it for about a year, and then the ground would be ready for a new harvest. Sometimes they would plow it and just not plant. Sometimes they would leave it, and all kinds of 
thorns and thistles would grow in the ground, but it is a kind of fallow ground, ground that is just unproductive, it's maybe been unused or intentionally left to rest. And in those spaces, it's often about reclaiming and restoring what has been previously there or planting something new. But the Lord is saying to us tonight, whatever kind of fallow ground is in our hearts, it's time to prepare the fallow ground. Now, these words were given on a national level. These prophets were speaking to whole nations, to whole groups of people. But I believe tonight the Lord wants us to apply these words much more in a personal space. Is that okay? So uh, kind of moving it a little bit out of its original intended context. But God wants to start something new and he wants to speak into our hearts. Now, if you want to understand a little bit more about the fellow ground, we need to read a little bit more around these scriptures. And so since we're in Jeremiah, let's read Jeremiah 3 and 4 together, just the next verse, because it just gives us a clue. It points us in a direction about what God is saying about what does he mean when he says it's time to prepare the fellow ground. So in verse 3, we'll read from the middle of the verse in Jeremiah chapter 4. It said, break up your fellow ground and do not sow amongst the thorns. Then in verse 4, Jeremiah says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your hearts, O people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your doing. So the nation hadn't been doing well. We'll see this with Israel a couple hundred years previously. They'd turned their backs on God and walked away from God. But I think the part to focus on is interesting for me that as, as Jeremiah writes and he says, break up the fellow ground, the very next verse he goes to the space of your heart. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Set yourself apart for the Lord. Cut off the foreskin of your hearts. Start speaking of the hearts. And so when God starts speaking about preparing the fellow ground, the journey starts in the heart and uses this metaphor of cutting things off and dedicating ourselves to the Lord. If we go back to Hosea chapter 10, where we were a little bit earlier, and we read some of the following verses there, the next two verses, we also see some elements of this emerging. But just to remind us, Hosea 10, 12 to 14 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, and you have reaped injustice, and you have eaten the fruit of lies. Because, this is why they've reaped all these things, because you have trusted in your power and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war will rise against your people and your fortresses will be destroyed. And the verse goes on to say how, comparing it to some other destruction that has happened in their history. And so Hosea, yes, uses this metaphor of sowing and reaping to explain this concept of um, preparing the fellow ground. And interesting that he says it's when you've trusted in your own strength and in the multitude of your own warriors that you cannot prepare the fellow ground, that destruction can come. You cannot reap the harvest that you have intended. So let's look at these verses and talk a little bit about how do we prepare our hearts. It's interesting for me in both these verses, it says prepare your fellow ground. I don't want to make too much of one word, but it doesn't say prepare the fellow ground. It says prepare your fellow ground. So for each of us, there's fellow ground. There's ground that we have access to. There's ground that we can step onto. It's not somebody else's ground or whatever. It's your fellow ground. It's something within the scope that's attainable to you, something where you have influence, something that you can exert effort and, and uh, intention into. And so there's, if there's anything there in our lives, in our spaces, that is hindering a harvest or hindering future fruitfulness, 
it's time to prepare the fallow ground. And so we want to look at four things that help us to prepare our hearts, that we also get these things from the, the verses that we've just read. How do we prepare our hearts? Firstly, we need to set ourselves apart for the Lord. Set yourself apart for the Lord. That's Jeremiah 4 verse 4. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. This metaphor, the setting apart, is about cutting things out. It's about cutting things off, or taking things out of our lives that would hinder fruitfulness. Perhaps if you're a believer and you've been following Jesus a while, you'll be more familiar with the term pruning. Pruning is when we cut things out of our lives so that there can be better fruit, there can be a better harvest. And so the first thing I believe the Lord wants us to do is to set ourselves apart for the Lord, to cut that out of our lives which is hindering fruitfulness. So let's use the word sin. Let's cut sin out of our lives. What is sin? It's that which separates us from God and others, actually. That's which separates us from God and others. Let's cut sin out of our lives. Stephen started the service tonight and he said, repentance is a wonderful word. Repentance isn't a scary word. It means you change your mind about something, literally, is what it means. So when the kingdom of God comes, you change your mind from living for your own kingdom or the kingdoms of this world, and you choose to live for the kingdom of God. But often that involves that you stop doing certain things and you start doing other things. That's what repentance points the picture to. So repentance is an opportunity for restoration, not for alienation. Sin is what alienates. Repentance is what restores us and reconciles us to God. And so whatever the Lord speaks to you in your life that you need to cut out, that you need to set yourself apart from, to separate yourself from. It's a well-worn picture, but it's often used to describe holiness, but I think it has some relevance in this concept of setting ourselves apart. If you were a priest in the first century and you worked in the temple, imagine you were. You can be a female priest too, it's fine. Okay. Wouldn't be true to the first century, but you can join in. And you had to go and buy a new knife for sacrifices. So you're not going to get all graphic, you just need a new knife because that's your job. You've got to spill blood. Okay? And so you go to the market and you go to the knife maker's shop and there's two lives lying on, the, on his counter. They're, for all intents and purposes, identical knives. Which one becomes the holy knife? Which one becomes the, life, the knife that is set apart for the Lord? Well, you're the priest. You pick one. You look at them. They're pretty much the same. You're a good priest, so you haggle on price. Get the best deal for the temple. It's God's money. And you choose a knife. And that knife then becomes a holy knife. That knife becomes set apart. It's no longer a knife that can be used for bries and ordinary purposes. This is a knife that gets used for God. And so you're cutting out options. You can't be used for that anymore because you're used for that. So the first step in preparing our hearts to prepare the fallow ground is we set ourselves apart for the Lord. We choose to say, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for God. I'm not living primarily for my own agendas, I'm living primarily for His. That's part of the intention in setting ourselves apart for the Lord. So that's a bit about cutting off. But the second step in this process is about embrace. Isaiah said, seek the Lord and sow righteousness. So first part, set apart. Cut out things that are separating you from God. But with that comes embrace. Seek the Lord and sow 
righteousness, he says in Hosea 10, verse 12. What does it mean to seek the Lord? And there's a common denominator. It means maybe you pray more. It means you try and involve him in what you're doing. You seek his direction. You seek his advice. But the thing that really matters in seeking the Lord is time. That we take time and we set it aside to spend with God, to pray and ask him to direct us, to pray and ask him to show us what to do. Perhaps it's time for prayer. Perhaps it's time for reading the Bible. It's time for fellowshipping and coming to church. Maybe it's time to be with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But seeking the Lord takes time. And I'm wondering if each of us just took 15 minutes a day, just for the next while, for the next, till you feel you shouldn't anymore, or don't need to. Maybe you already spend an hour with God every day, three times a day. It's good. But be intentional. Let's just take 15 minutes a day, maybe five minutes to pray, five minutes to read the Bible, five minutes just to wait and say, God, is there anything you're saying to me or anything you're showing to me? We're about 25 days out from Easter, which is a good benchmark in terms of how we celebrate and remember our faith. But maybe for the next season, whether it's until Easter, 15 minutes a day, just to say, Lord, I'm seeking you. What are you saying to me? It's time to seek the Lord. It's also time, Hosea says, to sow righteousness. Righteousness simply in this sense means doing that which is right, doing the right thing. So how about taking some time each day to do something good, to do something that is right for your own life or for the life of somebody else, perhaps to show love and kindness to that difficult person in your life. You don't have difficult people in your lives. You're just wonderful. I have no difficult people in my lives. I have to go and find them. But I need to go and find them and seek and sow righteousness, do, which is kind. Perhaps it's that person that just you need to be kind to them or just show some care and attention. Perhaps it's that friend on campus or at work where you, you just sit down and you say, how are you today? And you really mean it. And you want to hear the answer. And then you end up maybe praying for them or asking them if you can pray for them. Sow righteousness. Do good things for others. Let the goodness of God come. Maybe this can be done in your college or in your workplace or in your home. 15 minutes just to sow goodness and righteousness into people's lives. So we cut out. We separate. We embrace. We seek God. And we sow righteousness. We do whatever he leads us to do. But in the verses we've read, there's two other pointers that I think are worth taking note of as we prepare the fallow ground of our hearts and in our lives. In Jeremiah verse, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, so break up the fallow ground. And then he uses this interesting phrase. He says, and do not sow amongst the thorns. Do not sow amongst the thorns. Now, in the original context, that meant don't go back to your sinful ways because the nation had got caught up in worshiping idols. And if they went back to the places that they'd been before, and the thorns there become a metaphor for sin, don't sow your acts of righteousness, don't take your seeking and go back to past alliances and bad relationships and past places of sin. Perhaps there's areas of your life where the, the phrase is you've eaten the fruit of lies, you've believed lies about life, you've believed lies about yourself, you've believed lies about others. Don't sow in those places. Don't sow in places where things are growing that should not be growing. If you want a harvest of wheat, there should not be weeds in the wheat field. So be wise where you sow. 
And that's part of seeking the Lord. And say, Lord, where do I sow? Where do I put this righteousness, this righteous effort in? Don't sow into places of the past. Sow into the future, particular, particularly if the areas of the past have been bad or perhaps sinful. Isaiah says a fourth thing to us about preparing our hearts. He says, do not trust in your own strength and in your own abilities. Don't trust in your own power in the, in the multitude of your warriors, is what the New Revised Standard Version says. And this speaks to that if when we're preparing the, grounds of our, the ground of our hearts, when we're preparing the fallow ground, that we don't allow pride and self-sufficiency to dominate what we do. If you've lived life a little bit or you've done something before, you develop a natural ability at it. You can become quite good at it. It's like driving. First time you drive, if you don't know this, I think most of you would if I look, it's like difficult because you have to think about like 20 things. It feels like a million, but it's only 20. Okay? But it's like difficult. It's clutch and it's brake and it's this, and, and then you hit the car and you forgot you know, to turn. But after you've done it a while, it becomes automatic. You, in fact, it becomes so dangerous, you don't think about what you're doing anymore. I don't know if you've ever driven home and then you wonder, how did I get here? Like, happens to, Gideon says it happens often. Oops. Like, but because it becomes automatic. And so you don't need to trust God in that area because you've got an ability and a skill. But I think when God comes to us and he says, it's time to prepare the fellow ground, what he's saying is don't trust in your own strengths and abilities and skills. Don't be proud. Don't be self-sufficient. Take the good things God has given you. Your abilities aren't evil. Your gifts aren't evil. Your strengths aren't evil. But take them and yield them to God. Give them to him in a space where he can use them. It's interesting for me in that, I think it's the Hosea scripture, where it says, if you, don't, if you trust in your own strength, your fortresses will be destroyed. The things you relied on to keep you safe, the abilities you think that this is what keeps me here, this is what holds me in my job, when God's after your heart and he wants to root out pride and sufficiency, he'll destroy those things that you hold on to. So it's time to yield our talents and our gifts and abilities to God. It's time to prepare the fellow ground. We set ourselves apart for God. We cut things out. We embrace. We seek the Lord and we sow righteousness. We are smart. We're wise. We don't sow amongst the thorns. And then we don't rely on ourselves. Sometimes that's as simple as Lord, help me do this. Help me do it better. I think I've got this, but if you do it with me, it's going to be better. Or God, I really don't know how to do this. Can you help me? This is beyond me. Can you give me the strength and the ability to do it? So it's time to prepare the fellow ground. In Hosea, there's a promise for us, actually, too. There's a promise for us in Isaiah 10, 12, where he says, if we sow righteousness, firstly, part of the promise is you will reap steadfast love. We sang quite a lot earlier tonight about the love of God, the steadfast love of God, the love that doesn't change, doesn't depend on how you wake up in the morning or how you think God might be. His love doesn't change. It's always there. It's always the same. It's always more than we could ever imagine. His love never fails, we sang. It's also in the Bible. His love never fails. But when we sow righteous and we seek the Lord, we can expect that his love will be there. So that when we face the storms and when the days in the week don't go like we plan and we have those kinds of weeks or even when we have the best weeks and we face challenges that the love of God will sustain us when the storms and the challenges come. It's also this love 
that softens hard soil. Sometimes a fellow ground the Lord might cause you to want you to plow in is someone who's difficult or someone who's really hard-hearted. If you consistently love them, the ground of their hearts will grow softer. And so there's a promise that we can reap the steadfast love of God. The next phrase in Isaiah ten twelve says that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now I've broken that up, that sentence. It's one sentence, but I asked them to put some dots in the middle. Because I didn't want us to miss this first phrase. That he may come. Preparing the fellow ground of our hearts is not a journey that, you know, you go out and you walk alone and hope that you achieve something. It's a journey that God does with you. That he may come. You know, when Jesus comes into the room, when Jesus is part of any endeavor, it changes everything. And so when we're preparing the fellow ground of our hearts, we can expect that Jesus will come and he will be with us. Maybe in, in a tangible way that we sense that he's with us, his presence is with us. But maybe it's also just a knowing that we're never, ever alone. Never are we ever alone. And when he comes, the verse goes on and says, he will rain righteousness upon us. In other words, in the original context, salvation could come to the nation. Freedom could come. Where people were bound and trapped in chains, freedom could come. Where their feet were stuck in the miry clay, freedom could come and God could set them on a rock that we would know the goodness of God. And so, as God wants to lead us into new things, perhaps to take new grounds, whether it's in our own heart or outside ourselves in different spaces, the journey starts in our hearts, setting ourselves apart, seeking him, not sowing amongst thorns, and not relying on our own strengths and abilities. Perhaps the worship team could get ready so long. Earlier I shared that there's two kinds of fellow ground. There's never before used ground, and then there's ground that's been at rest. And as I want to apply this word tonight, I want to first talk to, to you personally, to, to your own heart, to inside you, to, in, to you internally. And perhaps for some in this room, the ground of your heart has never been given to God. It's just rock solid hard. You've never allowed God into your heart. There's a time then for salvation for you, an opportunity for you to come to the end of the service and say, I need to get to know this Jesus that you guys are singing about, and you're all a little weird, but I'll give you a chance. But there'll be some leaders up front, and we'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Christ so that the ground of your heart can be prepared. But I think for most of us in the room, it might be more a case of perhaps there's areas in our hearts that we've just never allowed God into, or areas in our lives, the heart always speaks of your whole life. There's areas of our lives that we've just said, I don't need God in this area. So whether perhaps it's from pain where you've just said, I got really hurt you and I'm not letting anybody in you, not even God. I would invite you tonight that perhaps it's time to prepare that fellow ground, to allow God into that space. Perhaps it's just a space where you don't think you need God and that's pride, where, you know, I've got this and I can manage on my own. Perhaps there's an area in your life that God says, you need to give to me now. You need to let me into this space. This ground has been unused. In other words, it's actually been unfruitful. There's been no kingdom harvest. There's been no fruit that God's been able to bring in that area because for whatever reason, you've kept him out of that space. I believe the Lord is saying it's time to prepare that space, to give that space to him tonight as well. 
Perhaps there's just areas in your life where there was fruit in the past, and for whatever reason, studies, time, circumstance, family, whatever, it's just laying unused. It's laying fallow. Perhaps it's been right because it's a time where the ground could restore and could be refreshed and the nutrients could grow back. So perhaps it's been perfectly good, but I think it's time to consider, isn't it time to prepare that area? You see, the purpose of this is that God can produce a harvest, that God can produce a harvest of fruitfulness. So that's internal. That's what God is saying to us personally, I believe. But externally, I'm wondering for some of us if there isn't new ground that God wants us to take. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new business opportunity. Maybe it's something just next to what you've been doing where you can, you know, you've been putting effort here, but if you take 20% and you put it there, suddenly there can be a harvest. Maybe for some of you, it's, you've been noticing something. The Judean countryside where Jeremiah spoke this word to was very hilly and rocky. And perhaps you've noticed something on the hills where it's going to take a lot of work. Because sometimes new ground, even though it's of God, takes effort and persistence and dedication. And you're going to have to go in and move those rocks and uproot those trees. And you're going to have to build terraces. And maybe it will take a while. But maybe that's what God's speaking to you about, that there's new ground for you to take. New ground beyond yourself. Perhaps there's an area where there's giants. And God is saying you need to be like Caleb, who when he was 80, by the way, said there's this territory that the giants still hold. Give it to me. I'll take it. So much for the 18-year-olds. Okay. Caleb goes 80 years old and he takes ground where giants live for God. And so internally, let's hold our hearts before the Lord as we worship now again. But perhaps also externally, God is speaking to you about new ground. If he is, get with people you know and trust. Pray through, get the timing right, seek God, develop his strategy, and hear what he has for you. This might be new ground. Because you see, ultimately, it's not just about us. It's about what God wants to do in our hearts, yes, but also in our homes, in our families, and the harvest he wants to bring there and beyond, in our workplaces, in our campuses, in our communities, in our city, perhaps even in our country. What is God wanting to do? What harvest, kingdom harvest, does he want to pull there? Because when the kingdom harvest comes, everybody wins. You prosper, your family prospers, your neighborhood prospers, your city prospers. Because God wants to do good. So I'm going to pray a short prayer. And there's still time left in the service. And we're going to worship. And we're going to hold our hearts before the Lord. In whichever way he speaks to your heart, won't you just respond to him tonight and do what he tells you to do? Can I invite you to stand and then we, we're going to pray. You may be seated if you're comfortable as well. Father, I so believe you've said that it's time to prepare the fallow ground. And Lord, we know that that starts in our own hearts. And so Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that we need to give to you, to, re, to reinvigorate, to open up, we want to respond to your love. We want to respond to the fact that you are our Father who is good, who is completely faithful and who loves us with a steadfast love that never changes. Lord, if there's areas outside ourselves, new ground that you want us to take, won't you stir the passion in our hearts? Won't you stir the holy discontent and begin to speak to our strategy? But most of all, Lord, prepare 
our hearts because it's time, Father, we believe, to prepare the fallow ground. And so we're going to worship you, Lord, with our hearts now, with everything we have, so that we can meet with you and we can hear from you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name.